This issue of Nil Desperandum is rated G for potentially disturbing snowmen and spoilers of certain Disney classics. Nil Desperandum 7 Uncle Rick by M. Shaw M. Shaw's fiction typically centers around the concept of otherness and features characters who have somehow fallen through the cracks, whether literally or metaphorically, in ways that are mundane or fantastical. Fangoria magazine has said that his writing, quote, should not be as compelling a read as it is, end quote. You can find his work online in Semaphore, Amphibi.us, 69 Flavors of Paranoia, and Bloody Bridge Review or in print in the anthologies Sick Things from Comet Press, Daily Flash 2011 from Pine Hill Press, and the forthcoming 2010 Semaphore Anthology. M. Shaw can be found online at mshaw.wordpress.com. Our narrator once again is Ken Stofler of The Flatest Show. Uncle Rick by M. Shaw. Friday. Jeffrey's dad tells him that his Uncle Rick will be coming for a visit tomorrow. Jeffrey has never been this cold before. Earlier, his mom told him that his preschool is closed today because it's so cold. So he stays in the house, freezing. Every so often, he asks his mom to turn up the thermostat, not knowing what this means except insofar as he's heard her say it. She always promises to, but he has not noticed any change. Jeffrey has never seen Uncle Rick before. He understands this is because Uncle Rick lives in Oklahoma City, which is different from Lawton, where Jeffrey lives. The simple presence of that word, different, has ominous implications because it marks the presence of so many of the unknowable distinctions that Jeffrey must struggle to place in his world. Working from his senses, he wonders if it is much colder in Oklahoma City and if Uncle Rick is bringing the cold with him. It's warmer behind the couch, so he spends most of his day there wrapped in his blanket. A few times, his dad, all smiles, tries to coax him out with the promise of hot chocolate and games of sorry. But Jeffrey is uninterested in going anywhere that might be colder. Finally, his dad shrugs and walks off, coming back once more to ask if he's sure about that hot chocolate. Jeffrey finally agrees, and a minute later, his dad sets the cup in front of him. His mom makes some comment about needing to get ready for Uncle Rick, and his dad agrees and leaves Jeffrey alone. The evening passes in a constant roar of cleaning equipment and housewares being moved about each other. Jeffrey stays put. By the time it's starting to get dark, there's white rain coming down in slow motion. Know what that is, Jeff? His dad asks excitedly. White rain? His dad grins. You must not have seen snow before. He asks Jeffrey's mom if he's ever seen snow, and she replies that he hasn't. His dad pats him on the shoulder. Let's go outside, have some fun with the snow. What do you say? No, Jeffrey replies solidly. It's too cold. His dad sighs. Suit yourself, I'm going out. He grumbles something about not moving here from Michigan to pass up snow when it comes. He pulls on a coat and gloves and heads out the front door. Jeffrey's mom reads to him before he goes to bed. She reads, Maya, a dinosaur grows up. 
which Jeffrey doesn't pay much attention to except to look at the pictures. He usually likes the artwork of clay-colored monster lizards, but it seems to have new meaning tonight. He asks her to stop before she's finished, and she quietly obeys. She turns off the light, turns on the nightlight before she leaves, telling him she loves him. Jeffrey curls into a ball under the covers, still cold. Saturday. When Jeffrey goes into the living room after waking up to find that it's even colder than yesterday, there is something in the front yard. It looks moundy and white, like the snow on the ground. Were it not for the thing's obvious but somewhat twisted humanity, Jeffrey would almost think it was part of the snow. It has a hat on its head and a scarf around its neck and looks at Jeffrey with big gray eyes and smiles at him with big round gray teeth. Its Pinocchio nose is a carrot and its arms are sticks. Jeffrey has never seen anyone who looks like this before. His dad comes and crouches next to him. Know who that is? Uncle Rick, says Jeffrey. His dad chuckles, pats him on the back and walks off. Jeffrey goes back to his corner behind the couch. His mom comes pacing through the room with the phone to her ear, talking into it excitedly. I just don't want you to try the roads if they might be dangerous. The snow and all. I, I know, but there will always be opportunities to see us. Then as she leaves the room again, fine. Well, be careful. She hangs up as Jeffrey's dad signals her that he's going out. I'm going to walk to the video store before they decide to close it. Figure we'll be spending a lot of time inside this weekend. His mom complains about needing more help with the house, but surrenders. As Jeffrey's dad walks out the front door, Jeffrey stands up and checks the front window to see if Uncle Rick will go with his dad. But Uncle Rick just stands in his spot, grinning at Jeffrey as discomfortingly as ever. Jeffrey wonders if this might be some kind of game, but doesn't like it anyway. He sinks back down, wishing Uncle Rick would take the snow back to Oklahoma City with him. His dad comes back from the video store a little while later. He shows Jeffrey that he has gotten four movies for him and asks if he wants to watch them right now. Jeffrey says he does. He likes the idea because this way he can stay behind the couch, lying with his head poking out just far enough to see the TV. Can Uncle Rick take the cold away? He asks as his dad loads the DVD player. I don't think so, his dad chuckles. He starts the movie and heads off to help Jeffrey's mom clean up. The first movie is Spirited Away, about a girl who goes to a house of monsters who make her do hard work and sleep on the floor. Everyone and everything in the movie is much bigger than she is, a fact that hits Jeffrey close to home. He watches patiently, having nothing else to do, and asks his dad to turn it off when it's over. Where is that brother of yours? Jeffrey's dad asks his mom as he puts the DVD back in the box. It might take him a while, she says. It's a long drive in this weather. Uncle Rick will be here soon, he says to Jeffrey. He's in the front yard, says Jeffrey. What? His mom says from another room. Jeffrey says Uncle Rick is in the front yard, his dad says. Well, he is. Jeffrey's dad comes over and looks out the front window. He must have seen another car going by. Is Uncle Rick coming in? Jeffrey asks, hoping that the pale, round man in the front yard will stay there and not bring the snow inside. In a little bit, his dad assures him to Jeffrey's dislike. 
Jeffrey asks for another movie after his dad brings him a sandwich and a juice box for lunch, warning him not to make too much of a mess. The second movie is The Little Mermaid, about fish people and the sea creatures that sing to them. It seems nice until the end, when the octopus woman puts on a crown and starts growing and growing and growing up and up, towering into the sky and making a terrible storm come. She laughs and screams with wild, unhinged triumph. Jeffrey asks his dad to turn it off. I'm worried about Rick, his dad says to his mom. Me too, says Jeffrey, casting a nervous eye at the front window, which looks enormous and foreboding from where he lies on the floor. I couldn't get him on his cell, his mom says. Well, what should we do, his dad says. His mom hesitates for a few moments before replying. Um, can you put another DVD in for Jeffrey and come talk to me? His dad does put another DVD in, then goes with Jeffrey's mom into another room. The third movie is Ratatouille, about a rat chef who controls a man's body by pulling his hair. The rat is visited at several points by the ghost of another chef. The ghost is a man the size of a rat. The fourth movie, which his dad puts in without saying a word after Ratatouille, is Pirates of the Caribbean, about men who turn into skeletons. By the time the movies are over, it has long since gotten dark outside. Jeffrey's mom hastily puts on two cans of soup for dinner and yells at Jeffrey to come to the table when he's reluctant to come out from behind the couch. During the meal, she gets up twice from her chair to make phone calls, and both times she comes back looking more disappointed and worried. After dinner, his dad asks if he wants to see any of the movies again, and Jeffrey declines. Before bed, his mom hurriedly reads him Peter Rabbit, a story about a bunny who has to get his jacket back from an unseen giant who wants to eat him. When she leaves, she does not say that she loves him and forgets to turn on the nightlight. Only a faint light comes into the room through the drawn curtains above Jeffrey's head. Jeffrey stands up on the bed after she's gone, lifts the curtain and peeks out. The snow is coming down again. The window frame is just in his peripheral vision, and combined with the lack of any sound coming from outside, it looks like a big, moving picture stuck on his wall. At the end of the window, opposite his pillow, he has a view of Uncle Rick, who isn't facing straight at him like he is from the living room. Instead, he leers at Jeffrey discreetly over his shoulder, showing only one jagged eye and less than half of his mouth. The side view makes the carrot nose look particularly spear-like. Jeffrey drops back down fearfully and pulls the covers over himself. He has a hard time falling asleep. When he does, he dreams that his house is a mansion and that he has to stand behind a card table in the driveway and sell towels to strangers. Eventually, two bearded men and an old woman show up and ask him where his parents are and if he's all right. He finds that he doesn't know where his mom and dad are, but he doesn't think he's in any trouble and tries to tell them so. Unfortunately, he is unable to speak. The only sounds he can make are soft peeping noises with which he hurriedly tries to form the syllables of his answer. Before he can, one of the men comes to a decision. Don't worry, he says. We'll take you somewhere safe. He picks Jeffrey up and carries him over his shoulder. Jeffrey continues trying to peep his message across, but the grown-ups never seem to get it. They stop on a street corner and say, Here, this is a safe place. The old woman opens a mailbox, and the bearded man dumps Jeffrey inside. All of them run away laughing. 
Jeffrey falls down and down and down. He lands in a circular room like a merry-go-round. All of the walls are brick fireplaces, only they are tall as trees. One of them is the one he fell through. Down another chimney comes something that is almost too big to fit through it. The thing is a man made of pots and pans with a big coal stove for a head and knives for fingers. Jeffrey stays still, hoping that the man won't see him if he does, because he knows that inside the metal man, making it move, is Uncle Rick. Jeffrey doesn't even dare to breathe, but the metal man sees him anyway and starts slowly coming toward him. Jeffrey steps backward, trying to wheel himself back up the chimney. He pictures his body whooshing upward until he comes back out the mailbox, but his picturing it does not make it happen. Jeffrey begins to cry. He is awakened by the phone ringing, but though his eyes open, he is still caught in the transient state between the dream and the real world. Jeffrey's mother answers the phone. Somewhere down the hall, he can hear her muffled, worried speech. After a while, she calls his dad in. Oh my God, Dave, she says. It's Rick. Jeffrey stands on his bed numbly like a marionette and peeks through the curtains once again. The window is creaking against the force of the wind, and the snow is blowing harder than ever before. The world outside is a black and white cyclone, swirling so madly that Jeffrey could never believe that it's anything but a living thing, berserk with the mysterious malice that animates the world around him. And at the center of the cyclone is Uncle Rick, peering smugly over his shoulder. Jeffrey hides under the covers. Sunday. Jeffrey's mom is gone when he wakes up. His dad gets him out of bed and clumsily helps him get dressed, promising that mom will be back soon and that grandma and grandpa and everyone will be coming to see him too. Jeffrey asks if Uncle Rick is still there, and his dad sighs and looks at the ground for a minute before saying, No, he's not. The tone of his response makes Jeffrey skeptical, and he sneaks to the window in the living room where he sees Uncle Rick right in his usual spot. He does not understand why his dad has lied to him. He is afraid to ask his dad about it. There is nobody else around to ask, so he keeps silent. His mom comes back with food from McDonald's, saying nothing. His dad puts his arm around her shoulder after hurriedly sitting Jeffrey on the couch to give him his McDonald's. Jeffrey retreats back behind the couch to eat it. In the next room, his mother starts sobbing like Jeffrey has never heard before, and he knows from what he heard the night before that it's because Uncle Rick has done something terrible. The toy in his Happy Meal is a monkey from Dora the Explorer that is made of rubber and can be made to shoot water through its pursed lips when squeezed. Jeffrey tries it a few times with his sprite and notices that the monkey's eyes also bulge out of its head when it shoots the soda. He tries this enough times to make himself satisfied the monkey has no other undiscovered behaviors, submerging its head into the cup and crushing its belly between his thumb and two fingers whenever he wants to drink or spit out. The monkey, none the worse for its wear, does the same thing every time. Jeffrey finally realizes that he's gotten Sprite on the living room rug and hides as far behind the couch as he can go, expecting to be found out and chastised by his mom and dad. He never is. People start arriving after Jeffrey has left to his own devices for a long time. All of his grandparents show up, and another uncle and aunt who he has met before. 
None of them give him more than a cursory glance and a warm greeting that always feels strange somehow, like they don't really mean it. Then they go to his mom and start talking about Uncle Rick in hushed tones so that he can never understand what they're saying. All of them wear black, move slowly, and look like something is wrong. It is unlike anything Jeffrey has ever seen. The only similar memories he has are of a Superman movie where all the bad guys wear black. He comprehends none of it except that Uncle Rick and the smothering gloom that he commands must be the cause. After the relatives, people start coming to the house who Jeffrey has never met. They behave similarly, sometimes asking Jeffrey's dad if Jeffrey is all right. Everyone asks if everyone else is all right, as if they are all recovering from some terrible unspoken wrong. The house has never been this crowded. The people go in and out, some coming back and some not, occasionally bringing food for which the others mutter a muted thanks. Some of them, mostly his grandparents, even talk to Jeffrey once or twice, mostly about preschool, a place which has not existed for Jeffrey since Uncle Rick came. Finally, one of them offers him a peanut butter sandwich for dinner, after which he is still hungry. He goes into his room wanting to snuggle under the covers and look at the pictures in some of his books, but when he comes in, an old woman he doesn't know is already inside, looking at his things. She smiles at him, and he runs away. When he returns, sometime later, after the people have all left, the books' images all seem foreign, their meaning unknowable without his mom's reading to accompany them. He waits for her to come in and read to him, but there is no story tonight. After she tucks him in, she tells him to sleep tight, kisses him on the forehead, and leaves. At least this time, the nightlight is on. When Jeffrey dreams, it is of two colors, black and white. The black looks like a forest of giants shuffling around between each other, and the white looks like one person who stands above them all. Monday. Jeffrey is barely rested when his dad pulls him out of bed early. He makes him put on his church clothes, an uncomfortable set of khaki pants, and a white turtleneck with a dark blue jacket. Jeffrey is filled with dread when his father complains that the clothing is not black. Whatever has happened to all the people wearing black yesterday, he is sure that he does not want the same. He notices that it is warmer out when his mom and dad shuffle him into the garage through the side door, and he hopes that it means Uncle Rick has finally left. But no, Uncle Rick, though looking more disheveled than ever, still grins at him from the front yard as they pull out of the driveway. Jeffrey's dad drives a route that he has never taken before. Neither he nor Jeffrey's mom talk during the drive, but he pats her hand occasionally. After a journey long enough to make Jeffrey's pants itch, they arrive at a big field littered all over with stone markers. They park the car, half on the grass and half on the road, and get out. There's less snow on the ground than there was before, but it's still cold out. Too cold for just Jeffrey's church clothes. Come on, let's go, his dad says, taking his hand. Where? To the burial site. Jeffrey dimly accepts this one of the many incomprehensible facts of the world, a secret password that he imagines he'll never know. It's getting warmer, his dad says to his mom. She nods and presses a tissue to her lips. Not knowing why, Jeffrey feels the beginnings of anger toward both of them. 
The burial site turns out to be an empty patch of grass surrounding a hole in the ground over which a huge wooden box rests on some kind of straps. There are only a few of the people from yesterday standing around at first, but the rest of them, and what seems like more, trickle in over time, coming to stand in a circle around the hole. One of them is the minister from the church. To Jeffrey's dismay, they talk for a long time in the authoritative manner of grown-ups that unspeakingly demands Jeffrey's silence. The length of it makes the cold today seem much worse than that of the last few days. He tries to sit down twice, each time to be yanked up by the sleeve by one of his parents, and so can only stand with his arms crossed, struggling against the cold that eats at him, and seems like it will forever. Looking around, he can't believe that any of the grown-ups are feeling as cold as he is. They stand as if the weather were completely normal, making Jeffrey wonder if Uncle Rick's cold is somehow reserved for him alone, and he begins to contemplate the question that has lurked in his subconscious for some time now. Is it all because of me? This epiphany arrives just before the minister stops talking. Presently, two men, not dressed in black, begin to work the straps and lower the box into the ground. There's a person in there. Jeffrey finally realizes. His horror is muted because somehow the fact seems to fit. And it does too when the grown-ups form two lines, each of them waiting for a shovel with which they throw a heap of dirt into the hole on top of the person in the box. He follows his mother instinctively, not realizing that he is caught up in the same process until his father, in what seems to Jeffrey like some sort of gruesome induction, helps Jeffrey take a bit of dirt in the shovel and throw it in. Why is Uncle Rick doing this? All the people in black come back to Jeffrey's house that night. Jeffrey hides in his room and prays for it to stop. Tuesday. Jeffrey's mom and dad tell him he will have to stay home from preschool for one more day. He has learned that this is associated with Uncle Rick and dreads what the day will bring. But when he looks out the front window, Uncle Rick is gone. So is the snow, and so is the cold. His mom and dad coax him into watching The Little Mermaid again. I know there's a scary part towards the end, his dad says, but it doesn't stay scary. The good guys win. I promise it'll make you feel better. I'd like to watch the end, his mom adds, and Jeffrey gives in. They watch to the part with the octopus woman. She grows, she laughs, she makes terrible things happen. Jeffrey hides his face. Now, his dad says, watch now, Jeff. Jeffrey watches as the man climbs onto a ship and works its steering wheel. The wooden spike on the front of the ship turns to spear the octopus woman right through the belly. The movie shows her doubled over, the spike protruding out the other side of her body before lightning strikes her, making her skeleton show. She melts into the ocean and doesn't come back. You can turn it off now, says Jeffrey. His dad asks if he wants to see the happy ending, but Jeffrey is satisfied. His mom still demands that they watch all the way to the end. They do, and when it comes, she starts crying the way she did when Uncle Rick was around, which makes Jeffrey nervous. Uncle Rick is gone, right? He asks his dad. Yes, his dad replies solemnly. A moment later, the two of them share their first truly meaningful hug. The youngest of my two children, my son, is six years old. He was two when his grandfather, my dad, passed away. Admittedly, at the time, I did not give it much thought. 
but since then I've often wondered just what his experience of that time actually was. And that can be extended to pretty much everything. He sees the world in much different terms than I do. In some ways, his world is much smaller than mine. Home, school, sports, the park, some friends, mom, dad, and grandma. He has been overseas a few times, so his scope is larger than other kids his age. But he does not have the experience to really put all the pieces together into a comprehensive whole picture. But his world is also much larger and richer than mine, in many ways. That tapping noise outside the window at bedtime? Absolutely, it could be a monster. You can't see out there, so why not? That abstract collection of Lego blocks? Of course it's a spaceship, or a car, or whatever he wants it to be. And he's not wrong. But you know what? Neither am I. And when it comes right down to it, neither is anyone else. Because really, reality is different for all of us. We filter reality through our own perceptions. And that filter is built up from the entire collection of our experiences, our thoughts, and our feelings. My world is not the same as my son's. It's also not the same as yours. And thank God for that. How much more boring would life be if we were all living the same life, in the same world? Unfortunately, in my world, I have to keep asking you for money. Please visit www.ndstories.com, comment on this or any of our stories, and leave a donation. I promise that your money works in our world. Nil Desperandum is a production of the Bear Crawling Nation. Editor and publisher Jim Phillips. Engineer Hugh Morrison. Executive producer Charles McFall. And is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license.